everyone. This is Ali Amagasu, and I am pleased to welcome you to the latest episode of Cloud Unfiltered on a very rainy afternoon here in Southern California. Um, so if you're looking at a grainy picture, that's why. There's just not very much light shining through my window right now, and my, um, my in-house lighting just can't take on the, actual, the additional workload. Uh, today's guest is um, a non-Cisco gentleman, although he used to work for us quite a while ago, Mark Veckler, the Chief OpenStack Architect at VMware. Welcome, Mark. Hi, thanks for having me on. Sure, sure. We're really pleased that you could join us. As uh, we talked a little bit about before we started the show, we haven't had anyone on uh, from OpenStack in a while, and we want to stay on top of that. And so um, I'm certainly going to ask you questions about that today. Uh, before we get into it, though, uh, why don't you start by telling us how you got into tech? Yeah, um, for me, it was kind of a, a twisted road. Uh, I uh, was born in the mountains in California, moved to Iowa, moved to Utah, eventually landed in Western North Carolina uh, when I was a young child. Not a whole lot of tech up there, um, so up in, the, up in the Blue Ridge Mountains there. Um, but when I was in seventh grade, I was given a TI-81 graphics calculator, um, which was kind of a, uh, the, the most advanced piece of electronics I think we had around. Um, and like any, any good grade school kid, I figured out how to write games for it um, and literally programmed my own game, uh, showed it to my algebra teacher. She was so excited that she asked me to type it into uh, an Atari ST computer and print it out on track feed uh, dot matrix paper uh, and share it with the entire class. Um, so we were literally sharing code uh, back in seventh grade uh, on printed paper. Um, so that got me kind of interested in, in programming and what I could make computers do. Uh, from there, I took a detour for a while, thought I was going to go into marine biology, uh, didn't end up doing that. Uh, when I got to college, uh, kind of came in uh, and decided that engineering was the way to go and kind of the rest is history. Um, got involved with a job working with the residential networking group uh, at NC State University. Uh, they had me uh, ripping out uh, old 10-base-T uh, 3-com hubs and replacing them with uh, new 100-base-T uh, uh, switches. Um, and so that's why I spent my summer in uh, very hot, unair conditioned dorm rooms, uh, swapping out networking gear. Uh, that kind of got me into the networking arena. Uh, spent about 11 years at Cisco, uh, and then about three years ago, uh, came over to VMware. Uh, and I've been working on OpenStack for about seven of the last years. Uh, so uh, it's kind of been cloud, cloud, cloud uh, after networking, networking, networking. <laughs> that's a really cool story. Yay for the seventh grade teacher who saw that that was something worth uh, worth pursuing, and yay for you for tearing apart a calculator. That seems like a desperate move. Like I don't have a I don't have a computer. I'm going to tear apart this calculator. I'm going to program a calculator. Really smacks of desperation for technology. But 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 kudos. Um. So you know, part of the reason we wanted to have you on the show was certainly your OpenStack involvement. Why don't you tell me first, like, what, what has been your OpenStack, your involvement in the OpenStack Foundation, and um, what is your current involvement? Yeah, so I got started in OpenStack back in uh, 2011 uh, when I was at Cisco. Um, basically, I was uh, kind of winding down an existing project. Um, I'd been uh, kind of a kind of the chief developer and, and manager for a team of software engineers working on a uh, test harness and documentation engine for uh, kind of Wall Street financial customers and data center cloud platforms. Um, and we've been doing a lot of work and it was kind of kind of winding down, but I was kind of the software guy at a networking company. Um, and so when this new software thing came out uh, and started making noise called OpenStack, uh, the group kind of said, well, hey, Mark is winding down a project right now, uh, and he's a software guy. Uh, let's send him out there and see if there's anything interesting going on. Uh, and kind of the rest is history. Um, so I started off um, kind of getting involved in the networking side of things uh, upstream, um, and then spent some time uh, working on the uh, puppet modules for OpenStack upstream, uh, became a core contributor on that for a while. 
um, worked on uh, Cisco's uh, OpenStack installer for a bit, uh, and eventually moved over to VMware to help with the VMware integrated OpenStack project here. Um, that's a shipping product that we have today. Um, it also runs Kubernetes uh, and has uh, data center and carrier additions. Uh, and then as well in the upstream community, I'm also currently the co-chair of the interoperability working group. Uh, and our job is to kind of publish guidelines that say, if you have a uh, vendor uh, product built on OpenStack, uh, it's got to do these things that make it interoperable with all the other ones in order to use the OpenStack name and trademark. Has that been a problem in the past? Yeah, there was definitely some concern early on, uh, especially when you had a project that was uh, growing as quickly and moving as fast as OpenStack. Uh, sometimes uh, vendors would find that they wanted to add capabilities that didn't exist upstream yet uh, or you know, make things work a little better for them. Uh, and so there were some products early on that got caught with uh, kind of changes that they'd made to the API that uh, made them uh, less interoperable with other versions of OpenStack. Uh, and two, there was kind of a, a steady pace in the early days of changes in the API. Um, nowadays, it's much less of a problem. Uh, you know, we have, uh, I think, 30-some vendors out there who've uh, passed all the tests, uh, even in some of the more recent guidelines. Um, so uh, it's, it's gotten uh, quite a bit more stable over time. Uh, we like to think that we had some part to play in that, uh, but uh, you know, I think it's also partly uh, down to the evolution of the community itself. Great, great. That's a terrific explanation. What if somebody wants to get involved in the interoperability working group? Is that something that just anybody can join? Do you have to be nominated? How does one become part of it? Absolutely, anybody can take part. Um, so if you look on eavesdrop.openstack.org, uh, you'll find our meetings there. Uh, we meet once a week, just had one uh, earlier today. Uh, and you can also look for uh, wikis, blogs, uh, just basically punch in interop WG, uh, and you'll probably find a bunch of stuff out there. Uh, and of course, folks can always reach out to me personally. Cool. Uh, now you mentioned a bunch of stuff, right, as you, <laughs> as you were opening there. Um, I'm gonna start with your VMware uh, product, VMware Integrated OpenStack. Um, I remember when that came out, how has it evolved lately? Kind of how has it changed? I try not to make this um, show actually a product pitch for anything. And I'm, I'm asking you questions that are going to sound like a product pitch, but I'm interested. Um, where is where is that heading? What do you guys feel like are the important features to offer uh, right now? Yeah, so um, it started off as kind of a, an opinionated distribution of OpenStack with um, a selection of underpinnings. As it turns out, VMware makes a SDM platform, a very successful one, uh, obviously a very successful hypervisor. Uh, we have a pretty rich uh, storage HCL that plugs into those things. So it's actually kind of a, a situation where we kind of owned all the underpinnings of a stack as well. So we could really provide a very integrated, uh, well-tested together uh, solution to the market. Um, we also make a suite of products that can go on top. Uh, things like uh, vRealize operations, uh, vRealize log insight that help you actually operate cloud. Uh, so all those things made made for, uh, you know, we've already got kind of 90% of what we need to have a good cloud. Uh, add in OpenStack to that and you've got a pretty potent product. Um, so that's how things started out, uh, mostly marketed at uh, kind of enterprise uh, audiences. Um, in the past couple of years, we've started seeing a big uptick in interest in OpenStack, uh, not just from VMware, but across the community uh, from telcos and uh, service providers. Uh, so we now have a carrier edition as well. Uh, and we've also seen a big uh, groundswell in interesting containers. Uh, so we also ship Kubernetes on top of VMware integrated OpenStack too. Interesting. Yeah, I've certainly heard that about um, you know OpenStack pivoting, or not necessarily the community pivoting, but simply interest pivoting, to where it's coming from telcos now. Why do you think that's working? It's working better for them, or why they seem to be adopting it so strongly compared to say enterprises. Yeah. Um, well, you know the enterprise adoption hasn't really gone away. Uh, it's it's more of a plus thing, I think. Um, you know, I, I'd say the, the the majority of our customers that we have today are enterprise customers, but we're seeing kind of the the 
big groundswell of interest on the telco uh, service provider side. Um, part of that has to do with the 5G build out that's going on right now around the world. Um, telco is kind of moving these, these cycles of say six to 10 years uh, where we get a new wave of technology uh, in the cellular networks that kind of drives a big infrastructure spend. Uh, and we'll see that in other areas as well. You can see, uh, you know, speeds have, have gone up quite a bit for uh, residential offerings around cable modems, uh, fiber to the premises, those kind of things as well. Um, kind of with each new uh, build out there, there's kind of a, a, a changing of the guard where they try to push in uh, new technologies that make things more flexible, easier to operate, faster, what have you, right? Uh, and those kind of happen in, in these big waves. We're right in the middle of one of those right now. Uh, I think the, the 5G build out is probably going to be the biggest infrastructure we uh, spend that we see uh, for the next five to eight years. Um, so there's a lot of exciting stuff going on right now. Um, as part of the 5G build out, one of the things that's happening is there's a big push toward uh, very distributed computing, um, which is kind of different from the sort of, it kind of sounds weird to say it, but the traditional cloud, right? Uh, the traditional cloud. Right, all, there's a traditional cloud now. I love that. Yeah, it's, it's crazy, uh, crazy times that we live in. Um, but sort of the traditional cloud is pool a bunch of resources together in a data center and then make efficient uses of them there because they're all together, they're co-located, and you can move things around pretty easily, right? Uh, distribute those workloads across hosts, um, low latency links, all that good stuff. Um, what we're actually seeing with the 5G build out is this push toward the edge. Uh, so we've kind of seen the pendulum start swinging the other way. Um, what I mean by that is that you might have a situation where every cell tower uh, has some small amount of compute capacity right there. Uh, connected devices might also have some amount of commute capacity right there. Uh, and we're seeing that for all kinds of use cases from Internet of Things to uh, wireless replacement, a um, bunch of different use cases out there for that. Um, as well, the operators are also looking at virtualizing a lot of functions that used to be in hardware. Um, so in some sense, it's what happened to the enterprises some time ago, uh, where they're kind of moving from very hardware-based to uh, a very virtualized and software-based infrastructure. Uh, so we, we kind of had the NFV wave uh, about five or six years ago, um, and now we're kind of seeing a big chunk of that happen in the telco space too. Um, I think what's really exciting about that is that if we get this right in the 5G build out, I think the 6G build out will come a lot faster. Uh, so we actually see those cycles start to speed up a bit. Wow, that's really interesting and exciting. I did not know that was going on. It does sound like a bit of a merge between the, the Internet of Things and the cloud. Um, you know, if, if there's going to be a little bit of, say, storage or compute power on, you know, different cell towers or in, in, in different devices, um, it sounds like things are heading that way. That way. Yeah, I think we're definitely seeing uh, concern for a lot more distributed uh, computing. Uh, so it's not sort of just the big warehouse computing anymore. It's now pushing things down to the edge uh, to where a lot of stuff never has to go all the way back to some data center somewhere. It can actually uh, have compute happen right near whatever device needs the answer from that, that computing. Interesting. What do you think is the, so it sounds like they're adopting it. This is great. And there's, you know, an uptick. You said uh, in, in telco enterprises, at least consistent, if not growing. What is the, what would ever prevent a company from, you know, I know all the cases for bringing uh, public cloud usage on site and doing, say, an OpenStack based um, on-prem cloud. What would, when we run into resistance or when you run into resistance, why would, why would a customer not want to do that? Well, I think in general, there's, there's, uh, we're kind of an interesting uh, crossroads because at the same time that we're building all this new stuff and putting in a lot of new software and adding in platforms like OpenStack to our existing uh, virtualization technologies, we're also kind of starting to see the beginnings of a backlash against complexity. 
Um, and I think that's one of the things that a lot of folks running OpenStack actually run into. Uh, OpenStack kind of provides a nice abstraction layer over a bunch of different stuff under the hood, right? So you can have any of 30 different storage drivers or 20 some different SDNs or, or whatever it is. Um, but it turns out some of those have little peculiarities that come back to bite you later. Um, and even if they don't have peculiarities that are evident to end users, uh, they get kind of evident to operators. Uh, That's what I was going to say. I was going to say backlash against complexity for who? <laughs> yeah, exactly. Um, so we're, we've done a pretty good job, I think, of um, reducing some of the complexity for end users. Um, you know, look at the rise of PaaS, look at the rise of software as a service, um, all those kind of things. Um, on the operator side, things have gotten a lot more complex. Um, and I think one of the things that we're starting to see is people looking for ways to make things easier to run and operate. Uh, especially as they get into cases where maybe I've got some of my stuff out on a public cloud. Well, I don't actually own that public cloud, right? I can't control those interfaces. I neither control right. the software nor the hardware nor what happens to the network. Um, and so the, the traditional way of dealing with that is to spread risk. Maybe I put you know, server A on my private cloud and server B in a public cloud or put them in different regions or put them in two different public clouds. Um, but that actually gets really complex to operate and manage over time. Um, you know, I don't know how many, how many conversations I've had just about uh, billing and keeping track of uh, who has access to what. Uh, so even just some of the fundamental things around identity and cost are, are pretty complex in that world. Yeah, it does seem complicated. And, you know, I talk to different people who say, you know, we need to let that single, you know, pane of glass fantasy go. It's, it's never going to be easy to manage and just accept that there's different tools and different languages for each, you know, each cloud. And there's other people who are still committed to, you know, figuring out a way to make it all work together. And uh, uh, I suppose it's all, you know, we're all headed in the same direction. I think there's just different paths to, to getting there. You know, everybody wants it to be simpler. Nobody wants their operators <laughs> being tortured all day uh, with, with complex, uh, uh, in, you know, complex setups and multiple clouds. But it does seem, I'm sure you hear Cisco, I mean, we talk about the multi-cloud all the time. And sure. we have tools that we're trying to help folks manage that. Um, what do you think about multi-cloud and hybrid cloud? Do you really feel like people should um, try to, for instance, consolidate, say, all on Google or all on AWS or all on, you know, Azure? Or do you really think they each have a place and it just you just need to accept that each one has something they're better for? Yeah, I think it's uh, for a lot of folks that I talk to, it's about spreading risk, right? Mm -hmm. um, so maybe it's not just, uh, you know, maybe things would be simpler if I put everything in one cloud. Um, but reality is I'm never going to do that for other reasons, uh, whether it's financial or competitive or, you know, whatever else. Sometimes it's even regulatory, right? Um, so we, the multi-cloud reality really is just that. It's a reality. Um, and it is something that people uh, have to deal with. Now, that's not to say you have to have your stuff spread across 16 different clouds, right? <laughs> you can narrow that scope a bit, and that certainly helps. Uh, and people have been doing that inside data centers for a long time. They choose a preferred hardware vendor for their servers or their network or a preferred software provider for their hypervisors. Um, and that's been going on for quite some time. Uh, I think we're going to see that same sort of strategy employed as we go to a multi-cloud world um, where people try to make intelligent choices and kind of limit their risk due to complexity uh, while also kind of meeting all those other uh, factors that they have to worry about. Hey, you mentioned, oh, you know, I've had so many conversations around billing, uh, it sounded like around multiple clouds. Have you guys figured out a workaround you can pass on? Or is that just a, is that just a daily struggle? Uh, it is a bit of a struggle. There are some tools out there. Um, you know, when we look at uh, OpenStack, for, for example, we have uh, not a lot of customers actually need to do chargeback uh, on the enterprise side. Uh, some of them are interested in kind of showback and shameback. Um, you know, shame on you. <laughs> 30,000. I've never computers. heard the term shameback before. That's brilliant. Yeah, it's great. Um, 
in those cases, um, you know, one of the things we try to focus on is helping people catch those transitions, right? Um, so people figured out how to deal with capacity management in enterprise virtualization quite some time ago. Um, you know, not to make it too producty, but uh, as an example, uh, VMware has a product called vRealize Billing um, that can go into your vCenter and figure out who's using what and, and help you uh, do allocations that way. Um, turns out you can actually still use that in OpenStack clouds uh, because it basically just talks to the vCenter, picks up you know, who's using what VMs, and we can key off of that. Um, we're looking at uh, also expanding uh, that to other clouds as well. Um, so we've seen some things out there where people say, hey, what if this could actually uh, work with Amazon as well? Um, in fact, if you go look at uh, VMware's, uh, VMware stack on Amazon, uh, we actually kind of have them managing the hardware and us managing the software. Uh, it kind of takes a bit of the complexity and the, the management out of there for you. That makes sense. Hey, you mentioned um, you were saying you know even within uh, OpenStack we have we have projects going on. I think I think you said something to that effect. What um, it made me wonder. You know, I haven't heard about what the new hotness is within OpenStack lately. Um, I, I I hear a lot about stabilization of the kind of the core projects. Well, what's the new hotness? What's the new um, capability that open you know that OpenStack is uh, rallying around? Um, well, I guess there's a couple things. Um, <clears throat> like I say, one of the things that we've seen is is kind of this big uptick in interest in the container side of the house. Um, so the OpenStack Foundation actually has uh, sort of the, the OpenStack projects that have been there for quite some time under the governance of the technical committee. Uh, they also have uh, now started adding projects that are not under the governance of the technical committee, but that uh, have sort of a home in the OpenStack Foundation uh, as far as uh, some of the marketing and, and tooling and, and things they need to run those projects. Uh, one of those being the Kata Containers Initiative, um, which was uh, kind of started as a collaboration between some of the folks who were doing VM-based containers. Uh, so in other words, running containers uh, wrapped in VMs, uh, especially uh, the Intel folks uh, with their clear container platform. Um, so that's something that's been uh, kind of talked about quite a lot, um, very similar to the approach that VMware has used for quite some time uh, in some respects uh, with uh, uh, containers wrapped in VMs, very lightweight VMs. Um, the other thing that we're seeing is a lot of interest on, again, the telco side of the house. Uh, so there's some new work going on there. Uh, one of the things that we just talked about in Dublin a few weeks ago at the OpenStack PTG, uh, we got together the uh, edge computing group there. Uh, and talk through with some operators uh, from places like AT&T and Verizon, uh, things about how do we manage OpenStack in this sort of massively distributed environment. Uh, where we're going to have potentially a lot of OpenStacks to deal with. Um, I've actually got a blog post out there. I can send you a link later that talks a little bit about some of the designs we discussed. Uh, but one of the things is um, maybe what we actually need is to have a lot of very, very small, very compact OpenStacks spread out across a lot of places. Um, and if you do that, uh, one of the ways that people are interested in doing that is actually running the OpenStack components in containers themselves. Uh, and that's a trend we've seen building in the OpenStack community for quite some time as well. Interesting. Well, those are those are really cool things to rally around. Um, you mentioned uh, just having been in, uh, where were you? Uh, in for, Dublin, yeah. In yeah. Dublin. Um, but that wasn't a summit. That was a a leadership gathering of some sort, right? Yeah, it was the project team gathering. Um, so a few years ago, uh, if you go way back to 2011 in the very early days of OpenStack, um, every OpenStack summit was kind of two things rolled into one. You kind of had a uh, conference event um, where you had people giving sort of CTO level talks and architect level talks and 101 level talks. And then at the same time, you had developers getting together to figure out what they were going to put into the next release and what the design should look like and those kind of things. Um, in the early days, especially, there was a lot of bleed over between those those two, uh, and that sometimes made it hard to have a lot of conversations. Um, you know, you get 
five people in the room who've been working on something for you know months and just need to hash out a few design details. And there's a lot of one-on-one questions from people who haven't uh, been involved but are, are curious. Um, so at some point, it kind of made sense to split the two events apart where you had developers who had FaceTime together with kind of no big conference, no customers to meet with, more, more focused on actually doing development planning work. Uh, and so it's been that way for a couple of years now. Uh, and the PTG in Dublin that I just got back from was the latest project team gathering where you kind of have all the developers getting together to talk over things. Okay. Okay. Yeah. I haven't been, I, I went to, I think six or seven summits in a row and I, I've missed the last two. So um, I, I'm not, I think it was right then that they split and went in the, in the separate directions. Where's the next summit? Uh, Vancouver. Vancouver. Okay. There's been one there before and it was excellent. There has, yeah, yeah, it was yeah. a terrific summit. It was terrific. So you touched on a project that um, OpenStack has that involves containers, but I know, you know, again, going back to the last time I was at a summit, containers were such a huge topic. It felt like, you know, every third session was about containers. Mm -hmm. And I know there's more than one um, project that touches on containers. Can you explain the different OpenStack and projects that touch on containers? I guess not all of them, if there's a lot, but I know there's at least two or three big ones, right? And, sure. and how how they're dealing with containers in different ways. Yeah, so uh, over time, there's been a lot of different container initiatives in OpenStack. Uh, even going back to several years ago, uh, kind of in the early days of Docker, there was actually a Docker driver for Nova uh, to where instead of spinning up a VM, you'd wind up spinning up containers. Um, maybe, uh, maybe good for kind of long-lived containers, uh, but we've seen a lot more interest in sort of short-term uh, containers. Uh, the driver kind of eventually uh, went away over time. Um, two of the projects that people know a little more about are uh, the Magnum project, uh, which provides a way to run container orchestration systems inside of OpenStack. Uh, so you have what's called a bay, uh, which allows you to spin up your own Kubernetes cluster or your own Docker swarm setup, or whatever else. Um, there's also the Cola project, which uh, focuses on deploying OpenStack in containers. Uh, so in other words, you have things like the Neutron API server running in a container uh, versus uh, on a VM or just as a, a piece of software on bare metal. Um, past that, I also mentioned the Kata Containers Initiative, uh, which is kind of separate from OpenStack, but also under the umbrella of the OpenStack Foundation. Um, and then past that, there's uh, a Kubernetes SIG uh, in OpenStack that's been doing a lot of work on uh, the OpenStack provider for Kubernetes. That one, I think, is one that has quite a lot of traction right now. Mm -hmm. uh, I know that uh, you know 451 Research published an article, uh, I think it was about it, maybe late 2016, uh, that said OpenStack users are adopting containers at about three times the rate of the general market, uh, according to one of their surveys. So there's obviously a lot of interest uh, in the OpenStack community, uh, not just from the developer side, but also from uh, users of OpenStack in, in leveraging containers. The most popular way that we see that happen is people look at Kubernetes, and actually, uh, when you look at Kubernetes, it has a bunch of different providers, sort of like uh, Nova could have a bunch of different hypervisors under the hood. Uh, Kubernetes can have a bunch of different cloud interfaces under the hood. Uh, whether that's Amazon or GCE or OpenStack. Um, so there's been a lot of work going into uh, kind of modernizing that interface and making sure that uh, Kubernetes can take care, uh, can take advantage of a lot of the underpinning providers that OpenStack has, whether it's using Keystone for identity, uh, whether it's providing persistent volumes via Cinder uh, or whatever else. Do you feel like um, those first two projects you mentioned, Magnum and Cola, those are certainly the two um, I, I, that were coming to mind when I was thinking of the conferences. Um, have they reached a level of maturity um, that you feel like they're really stable? Are people using them in production environments or, or what's going on with those? Uh, I think it really depends on who you ask. Um, mm -hmm. So there are certainly people that are, are using them in production. Um, Cola has become a, a reasonably popular way to deploy OpenStack. 
um, and Magnum uh, is also out there as well. Um, I think though, for the most part, when people look at needing a container orchestration system, uh, the market has kind of really come down on the side of, of Kubernetes. Uh, and if uh, the market has sort of picked Kubernetes, um, not to say that Docker Swarm and others still aren't out there, uh, they are, uh, they're just uh, maybe not quite as uh, popular among OpenStack users. Uh, but if you're running Kubernetes on top of OpenStack, you don't necessarily need something like Magnum to do that, because uh, it provides you a way to uh, have a lot of different container orchestrators. Um, and if you've already picked one of them, then maybe you don't need a, uh, uh, another project uh, added, kind of another gear added to your machine uh, in order to make that work for you. So more often what we see is people deploying Kubernetes directly on top of OpenStack. Okay, okay, that makes sense. Yeah, Kubernetes has a lot of magic in it, doesn't it? Um, <laughs> So that's that's terrific. Um, what else should I know about the foundation before I, or what's going on with OpenStack before I, I leave that topic? I want to be sure I'm not uh, missing anything. Oh gosh, um, you know, there's always something new. Um, we always say that uh, any any sufficiently good and, and usable platform eventually trends towards specialization. Um, you know, if you look at the Linux kernel, for example, um, what what started out as sort of a desktop operating system is now in servers, in CBAC entertainment units, on a plane, it's on my phone, it runs nuclear submarines. Uh, and each one of those use cases has a little different twist on on the Linux that they provide. Um, we're kind of seeing the same thing happen in OpenStack now. Mm -hmm. um, we see very small OpenStacks being deployed for very, managing very small compute capacity, uh, kind of the edge use cases that I talked about earlier. Um, we've got people running containers on OpenStack. Uh, we've seen a big uptick in interest in bare metal, uh, partly driven by uh, the idea of running containers on bare metal. Um, so it's, it's kind of all over the map right now. Uh, it's actually quite a lot going on upstream. Awesome. Well, well, thank you for that update. That's been terrific. And, and I appreciate you telling us uh, about what VMware is doing uh, with OpenStack. And uh, so now to kind of go back to um, uh, personal subjects. When, before we started, uh, we were talking a little bit about vacations or about where we've been. And um, you told me you just got back from a week in a tent in, the, in, a, in a jungle. Or where were you? Pretty close. Um, so uh, like I said, a couple weeks ago, I was in Ireland uh, for the OpenStack PTG in Dublin. And uh, we, it, that PTG is actually being uh, kind of nicknamed Snowpenstack uh, because we had the convergence of two big storms in Dublin uh, and got a ton of snow in a city that's uh, not, not super well equipped to deal with snow. Uh, the venue, the stadium that we were actually having this event at, uh, actually had to close a day and a half early. And we all kind of scooted across the street to a hotel and, and tried to hold the rest of our meetings there. Uh, so it was kind of an interesting thing. Um, I came back from that, had a week at home, uh, got my lawn mowed for the first time in, in the spring, uh, and then packed up with my family and went on vacation for a week. Um, vacation for us usually involves a tent and camping somewhere, uh, preferably somewhere far away from cell towers. Uh, and this time around, that was the Everglades National Park and Big Cypress National Preserve down in Southern Florida. Wow. Was it was it amazing? Had you been before or do you drag the kids to the Everglades every summer? <laughs> <laughs> no, this was new for us. Um, you know, anytime you get uh, a three year old and a six year old around a bunch of alligators and snakes and things, it's, it's always a little bit of an adventure. But uh, we all came back in one piece. So it was fantastic. Wow, that's really exciting. Well, thank you so much, Mark. Um, I really appreciate you being on the show. Um, for anybody who has questions for you or is interested in connecting with you, do you have a Twitter handle? I do. Steve Velker, uh, first name, middle initial, last name, all one word. I was talking while you said it. Mark. <laughs> Mark T. Velker, all one word. <laughs> Excellent. Thank you very much. And will you be on stage anywhere that we should know about in the near future? 
Uh, we will see. Uh, so I will be at uh, the Open Stack Summit in Vancouver. Uh, and there's probably also a few other conferences we'll do in between. Uh, I think the CFPs are still open for all things open right here in Raleigh uh, this fall. If folks haven't uh, heard about that one, definitely one to check out, uh, allthingsopen.org. Uh, and uh, probably showing up somewhere at VMworld as well. Great. And if you send me the, uh, the uh, URL for that blog post you referenced earlier, I'll go ahead and include that in the show notes. Absolutely. Great. Thank you so much for being on the show, Mark. We really appreciate it and I uh, hope you have a great day. Hey, great talking to you, Ali. Thanks. Bye-bye.